0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, local poultry officials are monitoring for avian flu, an update on how the state's hospitality industry is doing, and the women's Final Four comes to Minneapolis. But first... Russian soldiers in Ukraine, unruly fans in the stands, and paid family leave for employees are among the hot topics this week at the state legislature. Bill Werner has this report.
1: Scott, it has been pretty clear for some time that it would go this way, but battle lines are now officially drawn at the Minnesota Legislature over paid family and medical leave for Minnesota workers. Republicans this week proposed employers be allowed to purchase paid family leave insurance policies for their employee benefit packages. That's quite different from Governor Tim Walls and Democrats' plan for a state program modeled after unemployment insurance and funded by employer contributions. Republican Representative Jordan Rasmussen from Fergus Falls said small businesses in his area want to offer paid family leave to their employees. And the barrier today has been costs and the availability of insurance products that allow especially small employers to be able to affordably provide paid family leave. Republicans also proposed tax credits for small businesses that offer paid family leave to employees. Governor Tim Walls responded while he is grateful for the proposal. He says it has a lot of issues that make it unworkable.
2: You can buy your employer's insurance, but it's, you know, $25,000 a year per employee for the premiums. Get yeah, prices them out of the
1: market. Representative Rasmussen warns the governor and Democrats' plan for a program along the lines of unemployment insurance
2: would require a new state-run
1: bureaucracy. Uh, 300 or more new employees would have to be hired. But Democrats say Republicans' plan has gaps because it does not require coverage for either family or medical leave for employees.
3: Businesses can decide to offer paid family leave to some but not
1: all. Representative Ruth Richardson from Mendota Heights, Republican Senator Julia Coleman from Waconia says small businesses have been through a
4: lot and... They need a hand to make this happen. Not directives, threats of fines, and difficult to understand regulations. Governor Walls
1: left a bit of an olive branch out saying despite issues with the Republican proposal... I
2: don't
5: think at this point of negotiating this, that that we should just throw it under the bus and say, no, I, I appreciate the effort to bring it forward. I think now we get to the point where we get the best possible
2: policy.
1: Whether Democrats and Republicans can agree, particularly in an election year, remains to be seen. Those who assault sports officials during youth athletic events in Minnesota could face tougher penalties under a bill that cleared a Minnesota House committee this week. Sponsor, Rosemount Democrat John Hewatt, says a couple years ago he was down on the football field with an irate fan up in the stands.
2: What was sad about this incident and why it continuously plays over and over, the son came up to me at a timeout and said, I am so sorry, my dad is out of control. Now, to have a kid do that, is
1: just pathetic. Huat plans to modify his bill as it moves through the legislature so there are civil fines rather than criminal penalties. $1,000 is the number that's being tossed around and it would apply to anyone who is disruptive or physically interferes with a game organizer, player, or coach during a youth athletic activity. Huat stresses criminal penalties for assault would still apply under current Minnesota law. And the Minnesota State High School League's Roger Aronson told lawmakers at this week's hearing that organization Will begin gathering reports from school districts so
6: appropriate protocols can be established. For every one we know about, there's 20 we don't. And we got to get to where we know so we get past this kind of, um, uh, hey, this really isn't an issue we need to be dealing with. We need to get to this is an issue that we all need to be dealing with.
1: Aronson says the current climate needs to move toward a culture of respect. And this week, prompted by the continued attack on Ukraine, a bill rapidly moving toward the governor's desk that would require the state of Minnesota divest its holdings in Russia and Belarus.
3: We can't allow a single cent from our state to line the pockets of oligarch and despots who sanctioned the murder of innocent civilians.
1: Bill sponsor, Minneapolis Democrat Sidney Jordan.
3: This bill, while small is an action we can take to stop Putin and his army from further atrocities in Ukraine.
1: Heartbreaking testimony in Senate committee this week from Luda Anastasiyevsky, who chairs the Minnesota Ukrainian-American Committee. The city she was born in, Mariupol, in far southeast Ukraine and less than 40 miles from the Russian border, has endured some of the worst destruction.
7: This past month has been really tough on me. I'm exhausted from worry about my family and friends in Mariupol. I still do not know how any of them are doing, or even if they're alive, because there is still no communication. I lost touch with them on February 27th. Unable to capture the besieged city, Russia focused on the destruction of local infrastructure in the city and terrorizing the civilians by the missile, artillery, rocket, aircraft attacks, primarily on the residential neighborhoods. A few days ago, Ukraine's parliament reported that at least 80% of the residential housing has been destroyed in Mariupol. Mariupol has been besieged for more than three weeks and has seen some of the worst suffering in this Russian war against Ukraine. At least 2,300 people had died in the siege with some buried in mass graves. There had been no official estimates since then but the numbers feared to be much higher. For those who remain, conditions have been brutal, horrible. I have childhood friends, cousins, nieces, and nephews who live in Mariupol. Every moment when I'm doing my everyday chores, I think of them. I can't imagine how they're surviving without heat or water or electricity. I pray for them at this point I'm praying for a miracle.
1: The Russia Belarus divestiture bill unanimously cleared its final Senate committee and headed to the floor, but not without reopening of American partisan wounds, demonstrated by this exchange between Egan Democrat Jim Carlson and committee chair Big Lake Republican Mary Kiffmeyer.
5: It brings up a, a new definition of useful idiot that we have some people in this country who have supported the Russian aggression in the beginning, but Senator they're... Carlson. Yes, Madam Chair.
3: I just really want to stay focused on the country of Ukraine in this hearing.
5: Well, that's uh, exactly what I'm doing. Is is, uh, I want to make sure that we all pull together.
0: Scott. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
8: Change a light bulb, save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Change a light bulb? Save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The poultry industry in Minnesota is closely monitoring for highly pathogenic avian influenza cases. Tasha Radel has more.
9: Avian bird flu has now been confirmed in neighboring South Dakota, Iowa, and Wisconsin. Here with an update is Abby Schuft with the University
4: of Minnesota Extension Service. As far as an update, um, it is hitting multiple states in the U.S. Um, I believe we're at a count of 17 states that have identified cases in either or in domestic poultry so those are the commercial as well as non-commercial sectors there are additional states above and beyond those 17 states that have wild bird detections and that's um in the mid-20s i've lost track to be honest and haven't looked today um so it is starting to really affect the united states even uh, more so than the strain in 2015 did as far as what we need to do um, we kind of need to approach that in two different ways the commercial industry um, has really been paying mind to biosecurity and preparedness um, since 2015. Um, And since the actually the first detection in um, North America, which was in December of last year in Canada, um, those wheels have already been put into motion um, with response and how to handle it um, in the state of Minnesota. Um, Our commercial industry is really tightening their biosecurity. Um, But what's ultimately different this year's, um, with this year's event, is the number of small and backyard flocks that are being confirmed to have HPAI. Um, and that's a little different than um, 2014, 2015. And so we're taking that approach a little differently because they just have less education about the virus, um, what happens when a flock is infected. Um, some of them, um, of the, these poultry owners might not even know what the clinical signs of the virus are. Um, So we're kind of taking a two-tiered approach about um, how we're handling education for the backyard and non-commercial poultry owners versus the commercial industry.
9: Abby, can you explain the difference between a commercial poultry flock
4: and a small backyard flock? So I would have to pull it up, but actually USDA's definition of a small flock is actually quite large. But we're also considering a small flock to be, you know, a lot of the communities that have backyard poultry. So backyard poultry are still just as susceptible um, as, as these large commercial farms. So the flocks that have been identified already range in size of eight birds to 250 birds. So it's it's the backyard flock owners. It's people in rural Minnesota who aren't necessarily using it as a sole source of income, but they have 100 broilers that they raise, or they have 50 laying hens, or or what have you. That it's it's a, a side hustle, a hobby, a 4-H or FFA flock um, that they're using for personal use or personal enjoyment. They might sell to their neighbors. Etc. Those are those small flocks.
9: I know commercial poultry producers became well-educated during the 2015 avian influenza outbreak and continue to put a number of biosecurity measures in place. I'm guessing this might be a little different for backyard flock owners. Is education going to
4: be key here? Absolutely, education is going to be key. So um, first off, you want to be able to reduce the attractiveness Um, of your property to wild birds. Um, We know they are known reservoirs and can carry the virus. Um, And so that would mean, especially for these small flock owners, is making sure that wild birds do not have access to any feed that might be either provided outdoors for their birds or a feed spill that hasn't been cleaned up very promptly. Um, minimizing standing water, which I absolutely realize is a challenge right now with our snowmelt. Um, but trying to minimize that so that um, you're not providing a resting point for migrating and moving um, wild birds. Um, and then really maintaining a line of separation. And that line of separation could be the door to your coop. Um, it might be a fenced-in area, like a, a fence gate. Um, to where your poultry reside and that line of separation or we will just abbreviate it as an los is going to be a really key physical location that you are going to keep the outside out and keep the inside in meaning the outside is potentially contaminated or infected and you want to keep that out of where your birds are housed and where they are living their day-to-day lives.
9: Well, Abby, we're about out of time. Any final thoughts today?
4: Just if you do um, see any signs that just don't seem right <laughs> um, of for your birds, and that could include a decreased water consumption, um, the birds are much quieter than normal, they might seem depressed, they might not be chattering as often, or unfortunately, some sudden mortality. Um, Those are gonna be some triggers that you need to call the Minnesota Board of Animal Health to um, start the process of having those animals tested um, to make sure that we can ensure the health for all of our flock in the state of Minnesota.
9: Thanks again to my guest Abby Shuft with the University of Minnesota Extension Service. Back to you, Scott.
0: Thank you, Tasha. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Minnesota's hospitality industry continues to recover from the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. I recently spoke with Hospitality Minnesota's Ben Wogsland about what they've been through and what they need to move forward in the future. Yeah,
5: the big takeaway is that we've been going through two years of of pretty significant challenges in this industry uh, due to COVID, uh, due to government limitations, and due to consumer behavior uh, during the pandemic. And so, those challenges remain in this multi-year recovery. We're seeing that the majority of restaurants and hotels uh, are projecting l- lower than normal revenue to continue in the next quarter and they really don't expect revenue to return to normal until 2023 or later uh, which is concerning. So you know you've had a lot of folks that have had lower revenue and now they're facing inflation issues, they're facing supply chain challenges. And they're facing workforce shortage uh, like never before. Uh, This industry is currently down 32,000 workers compared to pre-pandemic levels. And so when you talk to individual operators, they'll tell you that they're very concerned about the tourism season in this spring, uh, being able to have enough workers to meet demand, Uh, even if demand starts coming back strong and people want to travel, people want to go out to restaurants and try to get back to normal a bit. Uh, as they feel safe, um, that they won't have enough workers to be able to meet that demand, that they'll have to cut their hours, that they'll have to turn travelers away. So uh, we really are trying to focus on workforce training and doing what we can to, to help these operators uh, meet those demands for workforce and, and, uh, and try to get beyond the lower revenue projections.
0: Is there uh, potential help available from the state legislature that you're seeking?
5: Yeah, there is, Scott. You know, we're seeking a, a few different things. Uh, you know, uh, our legislative agenda is focused on workforce development and making sure that the legislature, I guess, first does no harm <laughs> and then also trying to find some relief either through direct assistance to those that need help still and or tax relief. So on the workforce side, we are, uh, you know, as you and I have talked before, We've been promoting the high school programs, the Pro Start Culinary Program and the Hospitality Tourism and Management Program in Minnesota high schools. We're now in over 115 high schools to build that in those amazing programs that help build the pipeline. But we're also pushing a bill that would create a brand new online hospitality uh, training program modeled after South Dakota's highly successful program, and we're working with Explore Minnesota Tourism and the U of M Tourism Center on that. We're asking the Minnesota uh, legislature and government for a little bit of seed money to get that started, but we think we can train potentially thousands of of employees per year and, and hopefully help Meet some of that gap that we're seeing in workforce, but the legislature and and, and the government could also step up and help helping by um, you know addressing this uh, unemployment insurance trust fund issue. Uh, increased payroll taxes on our members uh, is going to be a problem here uh, when you look at these revenue numbers, Scott, and these other challenges that they're facing. So we're hopeful that uh, the governor and the, and the speaker and majority leader can can cut a deal on that soon and address that issue. Uh, We also need them to conform to the federal standard on the restaurant revitalization fund grants. These are the grants that some restaurants got from the feds, uh, and under current Minnesota law, those are going to be taxed unless Minnesota acts. And so we've been working on a couple of bills on that at the legislature and testifying as well. And then of course, uh, with all the American Rescue plan funds that have come to the state and other federal funding, we think there's a good case to be made to provide some direct grant relief to some of these small businesses that are still struggling, to try to make sure that they don't collapse, that they can still be these great employers in an in industry that you know normally employs one in ten Minnesotans in our state.
0: And as we hit uh, springtime here and heading into summer, is there something that, you know, the average Minnesotan consumer can do to try to help out the hospitality industry?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, uh, support your local hospitality businesses, you know, uh, travel travel to the resorts, to the hotels. We've got an amazing state here. Uh, hospitality and tourism and travel is is, a, is critical to our way of life. Uh, it's critical to our economy. Uh, you know those those restaurants and 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 these other hospitality businesses are really the lifeblood of our communities. So uh, you know people uh, uh, should go out and support them and uh, and bring their family family and friends out as they feel safe and more comfortable to do so. As we're hopefully starting to move back to a new normal, uh, and that that they can definitely uh, do all those things to support. Uh, the businesses that they know and love here in Minnesota.
0: Good information, Ben. Anything else you wanted to add today?
5: Uh, I guess the only other item that that I would mention, Scott, is uh, we do have a little bit, some concerns about the potential for uh, fuel costs and, and energy costs. Uh, you know, the, this survey that we conducted. Uh, was, you know, wrapped up on may, March 1st, so may not have accounted for the full concern or impact of, you know, the global events that we've seen in the last couple of weeks here and the increase in fuel prices. So we're watching that closely as well as a potential additional price pressure, uh, you know, both for businesses but also for what, what that might do to, to travel behavior. Um, and we're hoping that, uh, we're going to have a strong spring and summer tourism season, obviously, here in Minnesota, uh, and help get these folks uh, back on track.
0: Thank you to my guest, Hospitality Minnesota's Ben Wogsland. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
6: It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth.
0: All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese.
6: Followed naturally by an order of wings and another.
0: Can we get some extra ranch sauce?
6: Then there's the ceremonial nightcap.
0: So what are we doing this weekend?
6: And lastly, it's back to the car, which if you're buzzed,
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The state of Minnesota will be in the middle of March Madness next weekend when Minneapolis hosts the NCAA Women's Basketball Final Four at Target Center. The U of M is the host institution, and Golden Gopher Deputy Athletic Director Julie Manning is helping organize the festivities. She joins MN Sports Director Mike Grimm.
3: Just elated. I mean, to have the opportunity um, to host this grand jewel of an event, um, is amazing. As you mentioned, it doesn't happen very often that you have the opportunity. But quite frankly, when we made this pitch to the NCAA Women's Basketball Committee a couple of years ago, it just made sense that it would be held here at the University of Minnesota, uh, that it would be in our Twin Cities in this great state of Minnesota, who so um, often embrace girls and women in sport. And we do it so well that we felt like we were the perfect place to host this event.
2: Yeah, there's so much going on uh, from from that standpoint. We're, where, uh, I don't know if it's coincidental, but coincidentally, Title Nine's 50-year anniversary is this year when Minnesota gets to host this event. I'm guessing there's some stuff in terms of the themes and different uh, activities going on that, that will weave uh, some of those great stories and great history into this event here in Minnesota.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, Mike, that was the thing a couple of years ago when we made the pitch. We had no idea what was going to actually happen But what we have seen over the course of this last year, because really the local organizing committee who have done a phenomenal job really started the activation uh, related to Title IX and our corporate sponsors a good nine or 10 months ago. And, And so what we have seen is the education, the recognition, the awareness of not only the women who are playing this great sport of basketball and those who coach it, but what's happened is that these corporate sponsors have really started to acknowledge, recognize, celebrate, and and continue to educate the women executives uh, that are in their each of their organizations and the women who work there. So it's been really, really neat across the board to see all of these sorts of things kind of uh, activate and unfold and just learning so much about the women, the women leaders in this community. And uh, a great number of the men who are celebrating the women as well. So that was kind of an offshoot that we had no idea what happened, but so grateful uh, for this opportunity to, um, to just be a citizen in, in this uh, Twin Cities area right now and see all this unfold
2: Yeah and you think of some of the great uh, women's uh, sporting events that have happened and, and some of the great uh, different things you, I mean you think back to the current Gopher women's coach Lindsay Whalen and and, and what she did in the early to mid 2000s with this Gopher team with her teammates and coaching staff getting uh, to the uh, to the final four and I think at that point really elevating women's sports you think about uh, some of those girls were maybe six, seven, eight years old then or now some maybe in the N- W NBA, right? I mean, and some certainly playing college basketball now. And and of course, she, uh, it, it's great to have her back on campus and seeing what she's doing with this great recruiting class and uh, postseason this year and, and and different things. And then you think of the WNBA Minnesota Lynx and the titles they've won. Uh, and obviously, the University of Minnesota has had such great success in women's sports. And um, I mean, you look statewide, Duluth was just in the Frozen Four in hockey, you know, playing for the championship uh, this past weekend. So there's a lot of a lot of cool things happening in Minnesota. And this kind of fits in with a all of that
3: it, it really does and you know minnesota sports and events um they do a marvelous job obviously of hosting huge events the Ryder cup the super bowl the ncaa men's basketball final four uh we had hoped that we were going to host the ncaa wrestling and of course covid brought that to a, a very short um uh, stint um we hosted the ncaa volleyball pro, uh, tournament we are able to this, this city um is able to host these great events and it it just makes sense. And I just think it accentuates the opportunity for all of us who live here, but certainly for our student athletes and frankly for our staff who work these events that have a once in a lifetime opportunity to work in NCAA men's basketball or NCAA women's basketball or a a Super Bowl. So it's it's quite a recruiting tool to tell you the truth um, with employees in the facilities and special events area that we have here. Yeah. And and the links have very much been a prominent partner in in all of this. And you will see them this next week. Things kick off already on Sunday, um, March 27th in the afternoon. And you're going to see the links out, the players, the the coaching staff, of course, a a great deal. They're a wonderful partner uh, to have as well, along with all of our other corporate partners, again, Minnesota sports and events uh, do an amazing job. Um, they follow through with what they say is going to happen when they make the pitch to the NCAA and our volunteers in this community are really second to none. And uh, we lean on them a great deal. I think they really enjoy it Uh, but they show up and they support when they're not in duty. Uh, They come out and they're big fans as well. So it's a great place. I mean, we've got all the, all, all the tools. We've got a wonderful airport. We have an incredible Um, hospitality industry here with all of our hotels and restaurants in close proximity.
0: That's University of Minnesota Deputy Athletic Director Julie Manning discussing the women's basketball Final Four in Minneapolis. There are national semifinal games slated for April 1st with the championship game set for April 3rd. Several free fan events throughout all of next week. Many of them are at the Mall of America. For complete details, you can go to ncaa.com slash women's dash final four. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.